Hello and welcome back to the Relationship Matters podcast. We believe relationship matters from humanity to nature to the larger whole. I'm your host, Katie Churchman, and in this episode, I'm talking with Nari McMowan, CRR Global's Director of Business Development, faculty member, and head of CRR UK about our relationship with the toxins. Across this conversation, we discuss the benefit of becoming aware of the toxins, integrating the antidotes to create long-term behavioral change, the value of viewing the toxins through the lens of relationship, the subtle and sophisticated ways these toxic behaviors can show up in our relationships, and the importance of slowing down the pace of relationship. Alongside her roles at CRR Global and head of CRR UK, Nari McMowan is a CTI trained coach and ORSC certified practitioner with a corporate background, having worked in banking and property development. She's spent the past 10 years collaborating and running a private investment company in London. She's also acted as a business advisor to a number of startups. She has a strong interest in teams, especially culturally diverse teams. A psychologist by education, Nari has worked and lived on four continents. So I bring you Nari McMowan talking about our relationship with the toxins. Nari, welcome to the Relationship Matters podcast. I am so excited to have you on the show today. Welcome. Likewise, I am so excited to be here and thank you for the invitation, Katie. And I'm very intrigued about this topic today on relationship with the toxins. I haven't actually thought about the toxins in terms of through that relational lens. So I'm excited to deep dive with you around this. Yeah, likewise. I've spent lots of time thinking about toxins and our relationship and more importantly, how it becomes so sophisticated in relationship. So look forward to uh, exploring this topic further with you. And I wonder if we can start then with a bit of an overview of the four toxins, which are sometimes known as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Um, what are they and, and why are they useful for us to be aware of, particularly as coaches? Yeah, I mean, it's a way of communicate teams and actually all of us use a form of the toxins to communicate something that we need, but we don't know how to say it. So it becomes quite unskillful. And the interesting thing about the toxins is that they all, they invite another toxin to come up. So the toxins are defensiveness, blaming, stonewalling, and contempt. So if you, if, if a person, person or a team doesn't know how to communicate something that they're not happy about and they use one of those, then inevitably another one will come up to respond. So it's like having a relationship between these toxins until we step away a little bit from the toxins and then look at it and say, hang on a moment, what is a need that needs to be, what is a need that's trying to be expressed here? And how do we go back a little bit, a few paces to figure out what it is that we're trying to say unskillfully? And I love this inquiry that we're bringing today on relationship with the toxins, because I think for many of us, we we do this tool, maybe we even train in this work, and then we think, yeah, yeah, I've got the toxins, I've done that now. And yet they continue to emerge and evolve in our lives. And so I wonder for you, how has it been useful to look through the lens of relationship as it relates to the toxins? The thing is, what I love is that you took us back to how these uh, toxins are introduced. So we introduce it as a tool in fundamentals on day two after we've done some 
education around positivity and why it's important. We have this fun experience and we normalize it and everyone has a good time. And even when you work with teams, that's exactly, or couples, it's exactly how it feels. All of a sudden, it's out in the open. Everybody knows that, wow, in this relationship, this is how I show up. This is how you show up. And I've also showed up like this in other relationships. So it's all there. So relationship, the type of relationship it is, almost gives permission for a particular type of toxin to come out because we're all good at all of them, even though we say, what are you masterful? We're all good at all of them. But then we kind of put it away. It's almost like we've done the work and here's the antidotes, keep going and, you know, we go off. And it's in our consciousness. Maybe we want the defensiveness the way we did before, but it comes up again and again. Every relationship, the more sophisticated we are at being in relationship, conscious of the relationship, the more sophisticated our toxin uh, comes up. It almost, it's almost like it's fact. It's justifiable. Um, but you did this last time. Well, but you did do it. Here are the facts. You know that. Yeah, that's what we bring in. I think we become a lot more sophisticated at it. Mm, and I think that is something I can certainly relate to. I remember one time. I think we might be leading together, and we just led the toxin grid. And um, we had a break and it was a virtual course. And I think I went straight into blame with my husband outside of the session. And it was only afterwards um, when I was able to step back and take the balcony view that I realised it was blame. Because in the moment, I think I thought, well, I'm being skillful. And I was sort of on my, my high chair about that. And I think that's why it's so important what you're saying here is that we have to keep on our toes because otherwise these toxins will continue to trip us up. And they will do, of course, but they will show up in different ways and... We need to be aware of those new ways in which they live in our lives. Yeah. And so just to build on what you said, we become skillful in the way we use toxins to express a need. What we want is for us to be skillful in using the antidotes to express the need. I still think the impulse that we get from the toxins are really important because if something happens and it steps on something, you know, you immediately, it's a shortcut. It's like anger. It's a shortcut. You go right into it. It's not great. You want a solution. Uh, you might stonewall because you want to protect yourself because something just happened or you want to defend a position or you want to, you know, you're blaming on something because something's not working. But the question is, how do you then skillfully, rather than enact on that, how can you skillfully go into the antidotes and see which one of those are going to be supporting you to communicate what needs to be communicated so you can solve it. Otherwise, it's just going to go round and round and round, as you said, getting more sophisticated, bringing more facts, quoting statistics or bringing a study that was done or something you saw <laughs> on Instagram. <laughs> I mean, these yeah. are all really super sophisticated way of defending a position that I'm holding without accepting the fact that, um, you know, all voices are welcome and some voices are going to be really different from the voice that I hold. Can you see how the principles have just snuck in, in, in here as well? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they really have. And I think it really talks to that idea that toxins belong to our systems. They're both personal and they're collective. And certain toxins show up in different relationship systems that we're a part of. It is fascinating, particularly in the UK, how sarcasm, it, it seems quite fun and, and banterous, it's sometimes called, but it can be quite contentious too. And I think that's the way, particularly in the UK, we, we hide we hide behind sarcasm when it's actually contempt. 
And I'm sure there's different ways this manifests in different cultures. You can see how they sort of subtly become more sophisticated so we don't call them out and say that's that's not okay, actually, that's quite rude. Yeah, and that is exactly what you've just pinpointed us to, which is how do we stop and say, actually, that's that's really rude? Because when you say that, obviously, somebody's going to get offended and when they're offended, they're probably going to be defensive or stonewalling or say something quite derogatory, whether it's a derogatory term to the who we represent. And so that is why I love the antidotes because, you know, you can say something like, you know, that is really rude. And it, it actually Marita uh, Fridjohn said something amazing the other day. This is where I stop and go, ouch. Like, ouch doesn't say anything, but it's ouch. And it gives a moment for the relationship to go, ouch, ooh, what did I just do? What was ouch? Hmm. And gives you a moment to breathe and say, ouch, that really hurt. And I'm, I, I don't know whether I'm being sensitive and I just want to check something out with you. And again, can you see how we're skillfully bringing the antidotes to um, shift the way that relationship, well, the way we just put that relationship on an edge, didn't we? We just... We just, uh, someone said something, we responded in a way that was quite toxic and the relationship was ready for something to happen, break up or toxins coming in. But we are taking individual responsibility to say, ouch, even in a team situation, that actually hurt. Who else felt that pain? You know, what do we need to do here? Mm, I love that. What a simple way of subtly showing actually that maybe that, that didn't land in the way that we expected it to. It makes me think that in some ways it's really important for us to slow down because our lives are very fast, very, very busy, and it's not getting any slower. And it seems that the antidotes work more effectively when we slow down and have that pause to feel or to breathe for a moment. Yeah, you're right. That that banter, the one that you're referring to, is our natural go-to. And what we're not very good at is slowing down and um, considering what that ouch was for me and or that ouch was for our team and how do we need to own part of that ouch uh, but also redirect it so that we don't end up defending the ouch, <laughs> the pain that we are feeling. Obviously, feeling a pain is, is a reason for doing something, for saying something. I mean, the other day I was walking in the park with a friend, she made a comment that was actually very hurtful. And I didn't know how to respond. And the way I responded was I changed the direction of the conversation and I stonewalled her. And that, that, that's not very good to our, because our relationship felt like something was missing. From then on, the conversation was very surface and we left. And there is the text messages have a, like a sadness in them. And now I have to go and repair, <laughs> repair what happened. Whereas if I was really skillful at that moment and had the, the, that little badge that Marita gave me, which was, ouch, you know, at that moment, we could have adjusted it and had a wonderful walk in the park. But that's not what happened because I'm more skillful at the toxins than I am skillful at the antidotes. Oh, me too. I'm so glad you owned up to that. I am so good at some of the toxins. And I think many of us are. We have a one or two toxin that we are experts at and I wonder how those patterns in our brain I mean they're very hardwired and so we're not just working against something that's been building up for a year or two this is our our lifetime's work 
And so when we're bringing the antidotes, I think we we have to bring a sense of grace and compassion to ourselves because it's not always going to work out and it's not going to be easy. Yep. And that is exactly what we want for our coaches to know, as coaches for us to know, for our clients to know. Because one of the things you do after you do the toxin greed exercise is that you go into the conflict protocol, which are what you are going to do when things inevitably get difficult and when when we are triggered or something happens or we stress or we're tired, as you said, fall back into our learned patterns. And then I wonder whether it gets parked you know, it gets beautifully written and gets parked, which which I do as well. I write all this, I will not, I will not, I will not, but of course I am doing it. And how do you bring that as a ritual? Because rituals is what starts rewiring the brain. How would you bring that, like the uh, practice of COIN, uh, context, observation, impact next? Um, how do you bring that skill of normalizing or that ouch? Wouldn't it be great if we all practiced ouch? <laughs> what was an ouch that happened to you so that you can start using those language? I mean, my favorite one is the 2% truth. You know, I've heard lots of people say, but I'm 2% right. Again, that's a... <laughs> that's not quite, quite the point of the exercise. <laughs> no, because the 2% is exactly what you said before, which is how do you slow down? How do you mm. be with yourself and take on board that 2% truth that belongs to me or the 2% truth that belongs to us as a team? And then how do we adjust accordingly? How, what do we need to do to shift or not shift, you know, be in a conscious relationship about what is that new information? What's the gift in that? Well, as you're speaking, particularly about breaking some of these hard-worn patterns, I'm hearing slowing down to the pace of relationship. And that means not just doing the toxin grid and then the conflict protocol and then being done, but actually integrating these antidotes into our lives. And that's where the work really starts to live outside of the coaching session and in our family systems and our organisations. But it's much harder to do when we're, we're fast and we're busy and we're rushed. I think in those moments, at least for me, my autopilot takes over. It does indeed. And, you know, I'm also just thinking, uh, you know, how, how, do we, how do we embody, how do we become in stronger relationship with the antidotes? Because we have a strong relationship with the toxins, haven't we? We've learned them. They're our go-to. They're powerful. They're fierce. They come quickly. We're skilled at it. Like we can do it in so many different layers. And almost like every time we talk about the antidotes, even in this conversation, we both slow down. There's an elegance to it, a grace to it. How do we start building that relationship? And as you said, that takes time. Who has time? We all have time, actually. You know, yeah. Here's the thing that we want to share is that at the start, maybe you will require a bit more time, but with practice, I think that grace and elegance will become the go-to. And it's not that we are going to take up more than 60 seconds in a minute. We're just going to live the 60 seconds fully rather than yes. my, my go-to is 45 seconds, you know, really shorten that 60 seconds, get to it, get to the point. But imagine fully owning that richness of the 60 seconds and exploring what's available with the antidotes. That's such a nice way of holding time because I do think time is relative. It depends on how we're 
experiencing it. And if we're present and then we bring conscious intent, that's going to be a very different 60 seconds than if we're really not present. We're thinking about the next thing and then rushing into our autopilot to fix this argument. And of course, we can't be conscious and intentional all the time because that would be exhausting. But if we could just bring a tiny bit more, particularly to those relationships that matter, imagine the impact. Imagine the impact. Anyway, I don't, I, even you raising this thing about time, I'm also saying, wow, we even blame time for <laughs> <Yes>. us. <laughs> I do. <laughs> we don't have enough time. Of course, we're going to go b- blaming and defending. Who has time to do the antidote? Can you see it? Can you see how? That's fascinating. <laughs> I've not even thought about the toxins in relation to other relationships beyond our human relationships. And actually, yeah, we blame time. Um, we blame the weather in the UK. That's something we do a lot. <laughs> we were doing that before we, we started did. recording, in fact. <laughs> I'm feeling blue because it's raining. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's raining. I don't think the rain is intent. It's my relationship with the rain and what it's bringing up in me. And so knowing that it's going to be a wet summer, how do I have to be in relationship with myself so that I don't, I'm not blue and I'm not grumpy and I'm not allowing myself to be rude and miserable because of the weather. Weather is not personal. (laughs) It's just what it is. Well, it brings it back to that idea of right relationship. What does right relationship look like in this moment? And um, from the series I did with Faith on conversations on cancer around what right relationship looks like with life-threatening illness, it was different moment to moment. I'm sure those toxic behaviours, those toxins did show up. I'm sure there was some blame and some contempt towards the cancer, the illness. But uh, we also have that agency when we, we bring that relational lens in. And that's why I love looking through the relational lens today at toxins because I don't think I allowed for that agency before this conversation that actually we have that choice it's a two-way street it is a two-way street and we have the choice bringing that powerful thing around how we then try to blame yeah we have the choice you know again I don't want to go into but what you brought in even the weather uh, when it's sunny we don't want to work because it's a beautiful day when it's wet, we don't want to work because it's a miserable day. The, the whole thing is, it's our relationship, but what are the conditions I need to create to do the work I need to do that gives me joy and fulfills me? And in doing that, fulfills and gives joy to my relationships and gives joy and fulfillment to the teams that I work with. I think that's what you just said. That's the agency. And that's the agency we need in everything. It's not it's, we're not being picked on. There isn't somebody doing that where we have to defend or blame. How are we in relationship with what is going on for us right now, but aligned to our purpose, our goal, our mission? It goes right back to that, doesn't it? What is personally life-giving for me and how am I going to be in relationship with everything around us? So powerful to hold that. I think what's interesting about this is that as soon as you look through that lens of relationship, you can't so easily go into that toxin party of if someone's defending you then blame them and it goes back and forward it's not so easy anymore because suddenly you have choice you don't have to go into that pattern of backwards and forwards conflict actually you can change the game and I think it does take you to that that hole on up as uh, Ken Wilber would describe it it gives you a bit of a, a meta view of what's going on 
Yep, it's brought to your consciousness. You're aware now. You're at choice, and your body remembers. Boy, that's why I, the exercise of the toxins when we do the gestures, it's because it's an essence connection, and our body knows. The minute your brain knows that toxin grid and memorizes it, which you do straight away from doing just that one session, then you are constantly aware that you've just done something. You do feel like a naughty child when you do it because all of a sudden you're like, why would I do that? And then the antidotes are there to help you recover because we, we will do it. I think that's how we started this conversation, Katie. We said, we, you know, we've been doing this work. We're really committed to it. We teach, we train, we coach, and we still do it. And we have this, this beautiful skill set that we can recover from it, recover and own up to what you just did and why you did it and be in strong enough relationship for the other person to also accept it, knowing that we're all going to be doing it at some point. You know, it goes back to learning the antidotes brings grace to the relationship. And knowing that we will make mistakes over and over again, and maybe that's a part of this journey. I did um, a conflict protocol with my husband many years ago, and it happened just before we got some quite surprising news that our visa had been rejected in America and we had to suddenly move back. And it didn't mean there was no conflict in this very stressful time, but on looking back, we were more skillful than we would have been had we not done that. And I think it's important for us as coaches to look for that two degree tiller shift as we call it it's not about completely changing the dynamic because we're human beings we're going to get stressed and triggered and there'll be all of that physiological response or reaction to it that is a lot of it is out of your control and if we can just have a little bit more of an opening what might that allow wow i um I, you know again just keep repeating this the fact that you've done the conflict protocol at home so as coaches, it's a great space for us to practice and also observe how often do you go back to the conflict protocol? How often are you implementing the antidotes for you to have some data yourself so that when you are in front of the teams or the relationship that you're coaching, you also set expectations. I mean, that's the other thing. We do the toxin greed, we create the conflict protocol, and then the accountability piece is so important. How are you going to be accountable? How are you going to be holding these? And knowing that, again, I don't know if this is true. Uh, I've heard it, that behaviors take a long time, six months to change or nine months or three months. I'm not too sure what it is but because I'm assuming even that is relational. And so how are you going to be holding accountable so that it becomes the go-to rather than uh, oh, wow, we didn't do it. Let's do it again in six months' time. That's such an important point of inquiry. And I wonder, I know you do a lot of work with teams, Nari. Mm -hmm. How do you help to create a sense that this is an ongoing piece of work for them as opposed to a one-and-done exercise? Um, the accountability piece and really checking back on them, not to police them, not to blame them, not to finger point <laughs> them, <laughs> but to hold awareness around accountability and how at what point did the accountability drop off because it does mm. but the other thing as a coach is the rituals the the checking questions check out questions the middle in the middle of the session those are consciously and intentionally created co-created with the teams to ensure that that habit of ritual comes in when a ritual starts being adopted by a team then the ritual of the antidotes will come in so maybe a ritual might be 
something around now we've highlighted all the toxins, like we see the toxins coming up. A ritual might be, you know, something that you've learned about yourself in the, since we last met. So that's again, the 2% truth being, being reinforced, but from a different channel. And the channel is, here's what I learned about myself. I don't know that I like salt in my food. Again, that's an awareness. And you can, as a coach, bring that back into what are you doing about that awareness? Are you just accepting it or what are you doing? <sighs> yeah, I suppose um, what I'm trying to say is that teams need rituals. We do check-in and check-outs for a reason and bringing in the ritual of becoming better skilled at the antidotes is a very good way for teams to develop those skills. Yeah, I read something recently about how many of our lives are um, lacking in ritual. And I really feel that in terms of those ongoing coaching engagements, um, some people want to really hold on to you as the coach because they're almost uh, dependent on you then to keep them accountable. But I guess for me, at least, my job is really well done when they don't need me anymore because they can keep themselves accountable. And um, I think that integration piece is key, but not easy. Yeah. Because in some ways, our clients want us to give them the answers. And actually, they're only going to find themselves when they start looking in the mirror together. You know, and gosh, I can't help but to, but to really highlight this, the point you just said. I keep saying highlighting because every time you say something, I'm like, oh, my God, Katie, that was amazing. <laughs> and, you know, you think about it. Sometimes a very difficult conversation or a conflict or a communication breakdown is packaged and handed to the coach. So you can see that it's in a way, it's a toxin, but not the way we know it. The toxin is, I'm not going to deal with it. It's not my problem. It's now the coach's problem. Yes. And I heard this in systems integration, actually. Somebody said, how do you know when a coach has done a good job? And they said, well, you wouldn't be hired again. But again, can you see the blaming and defeating? <laughs> I mean, the coach did what the coach did. And then the system needs to do their work. And that's the whole thing. And you're right. The ritual of that organization might be to package things and hand it over to someone else to solve. Now, it is great because as coaches, we are skilled. We're able to unpack that box that has just been pushed aside or are looking at it. The team is looking at it. And we are experts at it. We untangle it with them. We show the mirror. We give them the tools and the skills for them to pick the bits that they want and repackage it and take it and keep it and look at it. And exactly what you said, we're developing that skill for them. What we're not doing is taking it on board, solving it so that we get rehired because that's not the point of it. Yeah. <laughs> the point is for coaches is for us to hold the mirror. And as you said, that 2% tiller, we know that it's heading somewhere else. And then eventually they can hold that mirror for themselves and see themselves as a system too. I think this applies as much to couples as it does to teams. And I remember one couple I worked with, they wanted to be more aware of the toxins in the moment um, and help each other to be more aware. And so because of the name, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, they'd be like, oh, oh, another horsey's come into the room. And they had this sort of joke around the horsies. And um, it was so light and playful that it automatically snapped them out of whatever pattern they were in. And I think those those playful, light ways of holding this can really help us in those moments too, because it sort of pulls us out of that 
triggering maybe and into a different kind of awareness that gives us a tiny bit more choice. Absolutely. Keith and I do it. Sometimes um, he says to me, oh, what just happened? I go, I think I just started on, the, I'm on the horsey, I'm galloping. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, yes, gallop right through my heart. And, and you know, you know what, Katie, we do also want to normalize. Sometimes we are very, very unskillful. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I think there are many things, many factors that impact this. Of course, if we haven't slept, it's going to be much harder to be skillful and bring the antidotes. But there are also ways that we can hold this too. Um, for me, a big game changer was actually realising that we don't have to have the conversation now because we don't have to fix it before we go to sleep. It can actually be an argument that we resolve tomorrow. Yeah, and you know, the conflict protocol, the way we, sh- we have it in the fundamentals is for a specific reason but you can exactly do the conflict protocol as couples and also as teams because our biorhythms, you know, we also have biorhythms. And like I'm a morning person, I can have the best conversation between 5 a.m. and 11 a.m. But my husband wakes up at 11 a.m. So he, he probably would like to have some kind of a topic conversation over the dinner table. But it is abs- I am de-skilled and there's no point. And as you said, the conflict protocol between us has been that the best time for us, our relationship to have discussions around difficult subjects is between 11 and 4. And if we miss that window, we miss that window. We, we will not do it because you're right. Imagine having an argument just before you go to bed. I mean, how yes. helpful is that? <laughs> yeah. And that really talks to being conscious and intentional around the toxins. It's not that you're saying, oh, yeah, yeah, we've we've worked through the toxins. They don't exist. It's it's an awareness that they do. And actually, these behavioral patterns help us to navigate them a little bit more skillfully. And they may still show up, but they might show up a little bit less than if you were tired. Yeah. And we are being conscious and intentional about times when those things come up. So if I am tired, I probably will be quite sarcastic. Or I might be not open to listening to anything that's being um, said, so stonewalling. Or I might be defending my position or blaming someone else for the way I feel. But it is a way of protecting my energy. And in the mornings, it's a way for him to protect his energy. So just imagine teams. There are 11, 12, 20, 35 people with all their different biorhythms and we're hybrid. And so it's complicated. And as you said, educating ourselves around the toxins, having this amazing experience, coming up with the antidotes, creating some form of ritual so that that's a default, but importantly, also having grace and knowing that we're going to, you know, we're going to not be great all the time. I wonder for you what you feel is the power of normalising how we show up in each of these toxins. Because I think for many people, it can be a bit of an edge initially to say, oh, I do this horrible thing with my partner or with my my colleague. But what's the, the benefit to us in our relationship systems when we normalize that and make it actually a part of being human? Well, um, th- when you're defending the fact that you're not, you don't use the toxin, <laughs> you know, it, it, is, it, is a, it is a toxin and it's, it's, <laughs> it's protecting our status, isn't it? It's protecting who we are. I mean, imagine being, you know, incredibly, well, imagine being an adult and discovering that, oh my gosh, I'm doing these things, maybe at home and maybe at work. So I think it's a natural way to defend. So my biggest takeaway has been to really use the 
way that ORSC introduces the toxins, where we talk about the importance of positivity and how that creates uh, goodwill in the relationship, how it makes relationships resilient. And from that, introducing the fact that we all do this other thing is, you know, because when you do the sharing of the data, the original data, you are also bringing in that it is normal that we go to the the four horsemen because we are trying to defend or protect or you know protect something that's important to us because when you do the exercise or one of all the toxins is there, are there to protect you so you need you need to ramp it up there are a lot of systems including relationships that the word toxins can be very triggering so unhelpful communication unskillful communication we all understand that um, we've just been invited to do some coaching and the topic is communication. I'm not sure if it is relating to the to uh, toxins, but there is something going on in communication. And we all need to continually be skilled in communication because our language is changing all the time. Yes. And the way we communicate is changing. I think there's so many ways now that we we shut with the toxins online that we didn't say five, 10 years ago. I, I think turning off our camera can be an example of stonewalling. It could be, it depends how it's done and the intent behind it, of course, but that, that could be stonewalling. And that wasn't something that we could do when we were always in the office all the time. You'd love to hear this. The latest one is that I have broadband issues. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I said to someone, <laughs> really, you have broadband issues? Well, she said, no, not really, but I use it so <laughs> when I can't, when I can't cope with the intensity of the conversation. Now imagine having sufficient safety in that relationship to say to use one of the antidotes to say, "I'm sorry, but right now I feel flooded." Or imagine being skilled enough to say, "Wow, I just said all this information. There's all these things going on around us." I'm sure we're all flooded. Let's take a break. See, these are the things that we are we are teaching. When you see a toxin coming up, it's not to answer it with a toxin, but as you said, to slow down the time, to think, wow, what can I do right now as a representative, as a voice of this system to uh, slow us down, to give us a break, to be curious about what just happened, to own it. I love that example because it also talks again to how these evolve and emerge over time. And uh, back in the noughties, that was me saying to my mum on the phone, oh, I'm going through a tunnel and I'd go shh, 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 shh. And now it's, I've got broadband issues. So it's just so interesting how it moves on, but it will continue to do so. And I think as coaches, particularly, it's our job, I think, to stay on our toes and then hold that for our clients too because we never arrive with this work. And I think that's sometimes so frustrating, isn't it? That we don't arrive and get our badge and we're done. It's a lifelong lesson and learning curve. But I'm um, also exciting because, wow, there's always something new to teach us. Yeah, new, something new to learn, something new to practice on how our brains are functioning, helping our brain to stay, to remain curious and not on autopilot. I think this, this work is a real invitation to keep evolving as human beings in relationship. Yes, in relationship with self, other system, the toxins. Thank you so much, Nari. This has been 
a fascinating conversation. I'm taking away so much and um, I'm hopefully going to be a little bit more aware of the toxic behaviours I bring to my, particularly my family system today. So thank you. And I can't wait to get you back on the show very soon. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I also have learned a whole lot of new things about myself. So thank you, Katie. It's been amazing. A huge thanks to Nari for that insightful discussion. Here are my key takeaways. The toxins are trying to protect us, even if they do so unskillfully. They are a form of unhelpful or unskillful communication and are something that we all do. Normalizing this can help relationship systems to become more aware of the toxins and understand them as part of being human. With heightened awareness comes more choice. We can choose to utilize the antidotes and bring more grace to the relationship. We can become more sophisticated at using toxic behaviours, so it's important for us to continue to pay attention to these behaviours as they evolve and perhaps become more subtle in our lives. Slowing down can help us to be more skillful when in conflict. It can provide us with a bit more space that can help us to break out of unskillful yet well-worn behavioural patterns. We can integrate an awareness of the toxins and the importance of the antidotes by creating rituals within our systems. These rituals help to remind us that our relationship with the toxins is an ongoing learning journey, not a one and done exercise. For over 20 years, CRR Global has accompanied leaders, teams and practitioners on their journey to build stronger relationships by focusing on the relationship itself, not only the individuals occupying it. This leads to a community of changemakers around the world. Supported by a global network of faculty and partners, we connect, inspire and equip change agents to shift systems one relationship at a time. CRR Global's unshakable belief is that relationship matters, from humanity to nature to the larger whole. For more information, please visit crrglobal.com.